Well, good morning again, Gateway, and thank you, Praise Team. That is our desire as the Lord to draw us closer to His side. Well, I'm excited. We're going to begin a new series for the next five weeks. We're taking a break from the Gospel of John, but don't worry, we're coming back to it. We'll be starting back in about six weeks in John chapter 11, picking right up where we left off. So what are we doing over these next few weeks? We're doing something on what is biblical community. And why are we pausing to do this? I was looking back. I've been your pastor now about 10 months, which is hard for me to believe it's already been 10 months. It's flown by. It's been an absolute joy for us, and I'm just thankful to be here. And over these 10 months, I've had conversations with many of you as I get to know you and get to know Gateway. Because I've been asking you, what, what are the areas we as a church need to grow in to be the church God wants us to be? There's one thing I hear primarily from people of all different backgrounds, from college students all the way up to older adults in the church. And that is I keep hearing from people this longing to share more life together. I keep hearing people say, I wish we had more opportunities to do things outside the building. I wish we had more time to really get into each other's lives and to be more intentional about that. So I took that to our elder team, and we've been praying over that and wrestling with that. And friends, I just want to let you know how thankful I am for the other elders here at Gateway. What, what a godly group of men who love this church and love the Lord. And I wish you could hear the way they pray for you by name in our elder meetings, the way they pray over this church, the way they seek the Lord for the decisions we're facing as we figure out how to best do the ministries God's called us to do. Because we've been wrestling with this as an elder team of how do we best provide community, we realize that what we need to do is not just start a new life group program, not just start some new initiative, we need to go back to the Word, let the Word of God shape our thinking on community. And that's what we're aiming to do over these next five weeks, is to have a chance to look at God's Word to us, God's revelation, to see who we are and how we're to live in light of that. And over these next five Sundays, we're going to look at who God made us to be and how we have longings for community. We're going to look at what that looks like in terms of how community really is serving one another. That is not a program of the sharing life. We're going to look at how community really means we speak the word of God to one another and what that looks like. We're going to look at how community is really the vehicle for mission, that community is what God has given us to make the kingdom advance. And we're also look at the role of leadership in Christian community. Why do we have elders and deacons here? What are the role of life group leaders and Sunday school leaders? What is everyone's role in facilitating Christian community? As we do that over these next five weeks, there's one verse that I want us to focus in on. It's not our text for this morning, but it's one verse that I want to kind of be the, the key verse. As we've worked through the Gospel of John each Sunday, we saw John 20, 31. I think you could probably say pretty well by now. Don't worry, we're coming back to it again in a few weeks. But John 20, 31, we saw the whole book was written around the idea that these things were written, that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing we might have life in His name. Likewise, there's a key verse that I want us to pull from as we begin this study of communion. It's 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Verse 8. And it says this. This is Paul writing to people at Thessalonica. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you have become very dear to us. Friends, if you want a verse that encapsulates what I'm praying, what our elders are praying, what I hope you're praying, that gateway would be, it would be this. That being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you have become very dear to us to us. Would you read it out loud with me? Let's just read this together. Can you say it with me? So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you have become very dear to us. Now, we've had 31 weeks in John to memorize John 23, and we only have five weeks to get this one down, okay? So I hope you'll, t- you'll take this one down and jot down, begin to memorize it and meditate on this, because I think this is what church is supposed to look like. And notice in this one verse, again, it's not our main text for this morning, but just I want to mention briefly on this, you see two things here. You see gospel and you see community. It's not an either or, it's a both and. You see gospel, ready to declare to you, ready to share with you the gospel, 
but we're also ready to share with you our very lives. We're able to, ready to share community with you. It's a both and. And friends, over the years, as I've watched churches across the land, I see churches that do gospel really well, but a lot of times the churches really stink at community. And I've seen a lot of churches do community really well, but they really stink at the gospel. And friends, it's not an either or. It has to be a both and. And my prayer for us at Gateway is that we will be a church that would do the gospel well and understand the gospel. We will be a church that loves each other in community really well also. I'm asking for both. And it's what Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book on community said this. He said, this is life together under the word. And that's what we want, friends. We want life together under the word. That's why we're calling it gospel community, biblical community, life under the word. It's everything in, that we're going to talk about is rooted in fundamentally who is God, everything we've been looking at in John. And so realize we're not just talking about practical things of how to share life. We're talking about how the gospel that we've been studying for these last 31 weeks changes how we treat one another as brother and sister in Christ. So before we even get to the weeks to come of the fundamental questions of what does it look like for the church to live in community, we have to te- take a step further back. And that's the question of why should we even study this topic? Well, in our human nature, there's easy to start going, well, we need it. You look at the loneliness of the world today. I look particularly as I look at statistics about the teenage generation, and they're the most connected generation ever in world history with social media and all the, uh, the technology they have. They're so well connected, and yet teen depression rates are the highest they've ever been in history. There's loneliness. We know people all around who are lonely and ISIS. So there's a need for it, but friends, that's not the main reason we're doing this. Yes, there's a need, but that's not the fundamental reason why we're talking about this. The reason that there's a need is because God put it there. And so we need to take a step further back and begin to address the question of why is that need in our heart? And it's because God created that need in our heart. And why then did God even create us with that need for community? So I want us to start back with a fundamental question today of why did God create us? Because that's going to answer a lot about how we pursue community. Why did God create us? Now, if you've been with us on Wednesday nights, we've already debunked the idea that God made us because he's lonely. I'm amazed at how much in the popular culture there's this idea that God made people because he was somehow lonely and needed something. God's not lonely. God is independent. God needs absolutely nothing. In Psalm 50, 12, I love it. God says, even if I were hungry, I would not tell you. Because the earth and its fullness is already mine. God needs absolutely nothing from us. So God didn't make us because he was lonely. In our culture sometimes, in the church culture, if you ask, why did God make us? Some people say, well, because he wanted to love us. Well, there's truth to that. God does love us, and there's a lot of truth to that. But that puts us at the center, friends, and we are not the main character of the Bible. We're not the focus. God is the focus. God didn't primarily make us because he wanted to love us. There's something bigger going on here about him. The best answer I can find outside of Scripture to why did God make us is something in the Westminster Catechism. If you're not familiar with the Catechism, it's not some form of punishment or something. A catechism is a series of questions and answers to help people learn about the faith. And one of the best ones is the Westminster Shorter Catechism. And the very first question of this catechism, the series of questions and answers, is this, what is the chief end of man? What is the chief end of man? What is our purpose? Why did God create us? What is our, what is, what's going on in our life? And the answer to what is the chief end of man, it is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Why did God make us? Not because he needed us, not just because he loved us. He made us so that, according to Westminster Catechism, so that we might glorify him and enjoy him. What I want to contend this morning and in the weeks to come is that we can enjoy God more and we can glorify him more together in community than alone as isolated individuals. I mean, think about it just from a human standpoint, on a human-to-human interaction. Anyone watch football yesterday? Some people are happy than others over that. But if you watch football about this, what gives greater glory to your team? Everyone being isolated in their own homes, cloistered off, watching the game. Or does the team get greater glory when like 80,000 people pack into a stadium together from all different backgrounds, all different walks of life, all different races, and they come together in one place, they all start cheering the same things, wearing the same colors. The team is glorified. The team is 
praised when people come together. The team gets a lot greater praise. If you think about it, if a team comes back from a big victory and there's one person to welcome them when they get off the bus, they're not going to feel very loved. But when they get back from the bus from either the winner or loss and there's thousands of fans going, we love you guys, you know, the team feels honored. They feel built up. They feel glorified because there's more people together singing their praises in a sense. But think about your own personal life, friends. When something exciting happens to you, you get a job promotion, you graduate, you get engaged, whatever it is, something big happens to you, you just go home and sit really quietly at home going, man, life is so good. No. When you find joy, that joy has to be expressed, and you want to express it with other people. So you start Instagramming it and Facebooking it and calling your friends and getting people together, and you celebrate together in that, and there's much greater joy that comes from people together joining you and celebrating with you what's going on. Friends, if greater glory comes to our football teams when we're together and greater joy comes to us in sharing life moments when we're together, how much more so when it comes to glorifying God and enjoying Him? The God gets greater glory when diversity comes together, people of all different backgrounds come together to sing His praises. And how much more joy we have when we share the life that God has given us together in community rather than isolated individuals. And I want to explore that this morning and in the weeks to come. And so, friends, with that said, I don't want you just to hear my, my thoughts and think this is just my deductions. I want you to see this in the Word of God. So turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2 this morning. If you're turning to 1 Peter chapter 2, I want to remind you the book of 1 Peter was written by the Apostle Peter. He was a fisherman called by Jesus. He was one of the 12 disciples. This book is written post-resurrection, so everything in 1 Peter is a post-resurrection perspective of who Jesus is and what he's done. It was, it was likely written in the late 80s, 50s, early 80s, 60s during the time of Nero. Remember, Nero was a time of not a fun time in the life of the church. There was much persecution at the time of the church. So when 1 Peter is written, he's addressing believers who are suffering, people who are even being persecuted for their faith in this. Thus, you would expect much in his response to them not to think good thoughts today. They're facing great difficulty in living out the Christian life. And so Peter exhorts them with reminding them who they are in Christ and how they are to live. He reminds them of gospel and community. You see a both and here in this. You'll see Peter go back and forth between who you are in Christ and how you're to live. And this text this morning is no different. So as we come to 1 Peter, we'll be in chapter 2 this morning. I want you to be listening as we read, where's the gospel and where's community? And watch how Peter weaves this together. Again, this is what our prayer is for Gateway, to be a gospel-centered church, a community-centered church, a biblical community of life under the Word. So we come to 1 Peter chapter 2. Can I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God? I'll be reading out the English Standard Version. 1 Peter chapter 2, we'll start in verse 2 this morning and read through the end of verse 12. 1 Peter 2, 2. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up to salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you have come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh 
which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you that you've given us your word. I'm thankful that you revealed to us who you are and who we are and how you want us to relate to you and to one another. So, Lord, I ask this day that you would take your word here in 1 Peter 2 to speak to my heart and the heart of these precious brothers and sisters, where they might use it to shape us and mold us and grow us into the people that you desire for us to be. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may sit down. Well, there's one main idea I want you to see from this text, and it's simply this. God created us to glorify Him as we live together in community. God created us to glorify Him as we live together in community. This goes back to that fundamental question. Why did God make us? He made us primarily to glorify Him. It's not about us. It's about Him. It's about not our glory. It's His glory. But how do we glorify Him? He didn't make us to glorify Him as individuals. He made us to glorify Him together in Christian community. God created us to glorify Him as we live together in community. I want you to see this, but first let's start with the big picture of this is being addressed to believers. Realize this is something that's specifically for the lives of believers. Look back at verses 2 and 3. 1 Peter 2, 2. Like newborn infants... Long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up to salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Friends, what we are praying for and longing for here, and what God offers to us, is something that can only be experienced by believers. There's lots of community groups out there, but there's something unique about Christian community. There's something about unique about the church and what God designed for it to be. This is specifically for people who have tasted that the Lord is good. And who is the Lord that we've come to? Verses 4 through 6 show us very clearly who He is. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Who is this that we've come to? Who is this that we've tasted as good? It's none other than Jesus, who is described here as the living Stone. He's living. This is post-resurrection. Christ is not a dead God. He's very much raised, back, raised to life. He's overcome death. And he's described as not just a living God, but he's a living stone, a living cornerstone. For instance, this comes from Psalm 118. And a cornerstone is a foundational piece of the building. The cornerstone sets the direction of the building, the shape of the building. Everything comes from the cornerstone of the building in the old days when the architecture was done this way. Friends, and this is really important for the imagery for us. If the cornerstone is crooked, the whole building will be crooked. If the cornerstone is misaligned, the whole building will be misaligned. If the cornerstone breaks, the whole building can collapse. It is the foundational part of the building. And friends, everything that we believe about God, and as we think about community, everything that we believe about that must be built upon the cornerstone. Not upon our culture, not upon our preferences, not upon our traditions, but upon Christ. He is the only sure foundation for us, for salvation, but for everything else, for life and godliness as well. And like we've seen in John over and over, this is what Jesus has come to do. He was sent by the Father to do this. If you look back in verse 4, the imagery is so strong there. In the sight of God, chosen and precious. He was chosen by God for this task to be the cornerstone, and he gladly did it. We've seen this throughout John. He's precious in God's sight. He's loved by the Father. But that is the foundation, friends, for those of us who experience that, who believe Christ is the cornerstone of our life, the ones who've tasted that he is good, what follows now is how we're to live. Let me be very clear about this, and and please don't miss this. What follows in these verses to us as believers is not a command to go do something. What follows here is God telling us what he has done and is doing. 
We're a very works-based culture. And so when we look at this, we look at what I need to be doing. But friends, this is not a command for us to follow. What's described here in terms of community is what God has done and is doing for us. So look at verses 4 and 5 as we begin. I want you to see this idea that God created us to glorify him as we live in community. I want you to see that in two places. So start in verses 4 and 5 here. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. It begins in verse 4, as you come. Friends, this is not salvation. That was in the first two verses before this. This is now the daily coming. As you come and keep on coming. Once you've tasted that the Lord is good, this is when you continue to come and taste His goodness every day. When you daily submit yourself to Him as Lord every day. When you're daily abiding in Him every day. Everything we've been talking about in John for the last 31 weeks about what it means to believe is what is encapsulating this. As we are daily coming to Him. But friends, don't miss the word as at the beginning of it. It's a little word we can pass over. As we are coming to Him... Something else is going on here. As we are coming to him, God is at work doing something else. And what is going on here? What is God up to as we daily abide in him, as we daily experience him? What is God doing? What is God moving in our lives to do? Verse 5. As we experience Jesus daily, verse 5 happens. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. Friends, as we experience God daily, he is building us up. We're not building ourselves up. He is the one doing it. He is building us up. And friends, I cannot stress this enough. This is not a command for us to build ourselves up. This is not a command for us to go live in community. This is a, an, this is a statement that what God is doing, that God is the one building us up. He is a passive verb here, that he is the one doing it. Reminds me of what Jesus told Peter, who wrote this book, in Matthew chapter 16. He didn't go to Peter and say, Peter, I want you to go build my church. What did Jesus say to Peter? I will build my church. And friends, that's the same tense of what's going on here, that God is at work building us up together as living stones to make us a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood. And don't miss this, he's making us into be a holy priesthood who offers sacrifices. What are the priests? The priests were a group of people who were set apart to worship God. They were a group of people who were set apart to declare God's excellencies, his greatness, and they were a group of people set apart to point others to do the same as well. And so don't miss this, friends. God has set us apart. God is working as we daily come to Him to make us into a people who will together glorify Him, who will worship Him. Yes, that includes our songs. That's important. What we've just done this morning of singing to Him, that's in view here. There's a lot more than just our songs. We'll get to it in the next weeks, but Romans 12. Our whole lives are to be used in worship of the Lord. But I want you to realize that this idea of us being created to glorify Him is community in focus, not individual in focus. Friends, we have such a lens in our culture through which we look at Scripture. It's easy to miss this. It's easy for us to look at verse 5 and read it this way. You yourself is a living stone who's being built up to be a holy priest. That's the way I think a lot of times that we wouldn't read it that way. That's a lot of times the way our mind, I think, goes on this because of our culture on this. But that's not what it says. This is very much a plural emphasis here in verse 5. You yourselves. This is you all, plural. We should almost put y'all here. Y'all yourselves is almost how this should read here. Y'all yourselves together being built up here, friends. This is as plural as it can get on this. And friends, this is an incredible thought for us. God is at work building us up together as believers together to be a spiritual house. House is the word that was used to describe the temple. God is making us together a place to where his presence is known. But don't miss this. It says not only are we a living house, we're also the priesthood in that house. Friends, Christian community, the church, is that we're places, the temple, 
and it replaces the priest. We together now are the place where God's presence is most fully known, and we together are the place now to where we are the priesthood serving the Lord together on this as we live together in community. God created us to glorify Him as we live together in community. I want you to see it one other place in this text, and that's in verses 9 and 10. Verse 9, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession. You may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Friends, again, look at what God has done for us. This is not something we're doing. This is what God has done for us. We're chosen by Him. We're royal. Friends, you can't choose royalty. We can't walk into a palace and be like, hey, I want to be a son of the king now. Royalty has to be conferred. God has conferred it on us. We're a holy nation. God has set us apart. We are a people for His own possession. It says here in verse 9, He called us out of darkness. And then in verse 10, Once you were not a people, now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. Again, it's all of God's work. And why did God do this work in our lives? Again, it's so clear for us in verse 9, so that we may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His life. He saved us and put us together in community, not for us primarily, but so that we might worship Him and we might exclaim His greatness. And again, we do this better together than alone. Look for all the plural words here in verses 9 and 10. But you are a chosen race. It doesn't say you're an individual. He says you're a chosen race, not an individual. You're a royal priesthood, not just a priest. You're a holy nation, not just an individual. You're a people, not just a person. Friends, this was written with the community in mind. Again, we look at Scripture so often through what is the application to my life. But friends, this wasn't written to individual believers. This was written to the church together as they were living together in community. Won't you see, it's not the only place that we find this in Scripture. It's not just unique to 1 Peter. In Isaiah chapter 43, you'll see the exact same idea again of why God made us and how we're to live on this. Primarily here, I want you to see this all about God. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 21. Listen to how God describes His people. The people whom I form for myself, that they might declare my praise. Again, notice here, God didn't make us primarily for us. He made us for Him Verse 25 makes it very clear, because after three verses of telling about all their sins and how Israel had wandered, you come to verse 25. I, I am He who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. As you catch that phrase in there, for my own sake? God says, I forgive you. Yes, we need forgiveness, but it's not primarily about you and me. He's forgiving us for His sake, because He is doing a work that He wants to do in our midst. I want you to see this in Scripture in one other place also, and that's Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2, starting in verse 17, it's almost the same imagery that Peter gives us, but now Paul's giving it to us as he writes to the church in Ephesus. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 17, And he came and preached peace to those who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Now, let me pause there and just say this. Christ is speaking. He's bringing people from all different backgrounds together. He's unifying them together. And he says in verse 19, we're no longer strangers and aliens, but we are fellow citizens here. Again, don't miss this, friends. Our identity is being described once again in community-based terms, not in individual terms. We are fellow citizens now belonging to the Lord with all the other saints and members of the household of God. Now, verse 20, what, how is God doing all this? 
It's built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, what we just saw in 1 Peter, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Notice that phrase, we are being built together. Friends, God is at work accomplishing his purpose. He created us to glorify him as we live together in community, and he is the one who is doing it. He is the one at work making us into a holy people, a people that is being built up to do this very thing that he called us to do. And friends, that will change a lot of how we live. There's lots of implications. That. Go back to 1 Peter. We're not going to spend much time on this one this morning but because we're going here in the next few weeks. But 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. If we understand our identity and community, look at how this changes things. Verse 11, Beloved, I urge you, as sojourners and exiles, to abstain from the passion of the flesh, which will wage war against your soul. Friends, in community, God has made us to strive for holiness together. Talk about that in two weeks. We're going to focus on the role of the Word of God and helping each other grow in holiness through the Word of God. If our community understanding will change that. But then verse 12, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Friends, even our understanding of who we are in community will change how we do evangelism. We'll talk about the role of mission in the church and the mission through community coming in a few weeks as well. But I just want you to see it even here in this text once again. God created us to glorify Him as we live together in community. And we glorify Him as we help each other in holiness as we help each other share the gospel as well. And so friends, I'm convinced from Scripture, I hope you are as well, that God made us to be a people to share our lives together. And like we say with the Gospel of John, Scripture demands a response from us. These aren't just cool theoretical things for us, but this is demands a response from us. And how will this change us? So I've got three questions for us to consider in light of 1 Peter chapter 2, in light of the idea that God created us to glorify Him as we live together in community. So our three questions for us to consider as we close with this. First of all, do you know the God who made you? Friends, it's got to start there. Have you come and tasted His goodness? Everything we've been talking about the last 31 weeks in John... Do you long for the pure spiritual milk? Do you long for the Word of God? Because remember, as we've said over and over, friends, belief is not just praying a prayer. It's not just walking down an aisle. It's not just getting baptized. Belief changes us. Belief is receiving a transformation from above. And are we so transformed because we believe that we long for the Word of God? We crave it like a baby craves for milk, that we crave the Word of God. Are we growing up in our salvation? Have we tasted the Lord is good. Friends, if we don't start there, everything else we'll talk about these next four weeks is impossible for us. Yeah, we can all go join a community group and experience relationships, but to experience biblical community, the type of community where we can encourage each other with the Word of God and serve one another and have our lives transformed as we live life together under the Word, that can only happen if we first are submitted to the Lord who's over all of these things. Do we know Him in a personal way? Second question is, have you embraced God's purpose for your life? Have you embraced God's purpose for your life? He makes it very clear here, and as we'll see in the weeks to come, that part of his purpose for us is to live together as a people. He has saved us and is building us up to be a people. Do we understand that, and are we willing to embrace that as his will for our life? Friends, when you think about your identity, if someone asks you, who are you? You think about how you live and everything about your life. Does it reflect Christ's priorities or our own priorities? If someone was to look at your priorities your calendar, your checkbook, and all the things of your life, will they see in you and me a life that's built on the cornerstone of Christ where everything is aligning to be part of the house that he has built? Or will they see a life that's built on us as the cornerstone around my priorities and my desires and my wishes for my life and my dreams? Have we embraced God's purpose for our life? 
And then finally, I want to ask, are we living the life and community that God has made us for? Again, friends, God created us to glorify him, not individually, but as we live together in community. This is God's plan. It's not just his plan for extroverts. You know, God doesn't have a plan A in the Bible here. I want you to go live together in community. If you're an extrovert, if you're an introvert, it's okay to go be alone. There's no plan A and plan B based on your personality type. There's no plan A or plan B based on your culture. Well, if you live in a community-based culture, I want you to share a life together and live an Acts 2 model of life. But if you live in an individualist culture, it's okay to not do those things. Because there's no track A and track B for the Christian life. There's no track A and track B based on our personality. There's no track A or track B based on our background or how we grew up or what our home churches were like growing up. The question for us is, what is God's revealed will in Scripture for us? And His revealed will is we are to live together as a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession. His will for our lives is that He would be building us up as living stones into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Friends, stones by themselves aren't a house. Only when stones are brought together by the master builder, they become a house. God's will according to the pages of Scripture, is not for stones to be isolated, but for the stones to come together in Christian community and become the house where His presence is known and a house to where the people serve together as living stones also are praising Him as priests. Friends, are we embracing that and experiencing that because that is what He made us to experience? And if not, why not? What is the barrier that keeps us from living out what God has called us to do and is making us to do? And it may be different for different people. For some of the barriers, well, I've never thought of it before. For some of the barriers are culture. Some of the barriers tradition. Some of the barriers are our own pride. Some of the barriers just, well, this is difficult for me. I don't know if I can do that. But friends, my hope for you and the hope for me in this is the gospel's bigger than all those obstacles. What Christ calls us to be, he will give us grace to be. What he calls us to do, he will give us grace to do. And he has said of us, again, he didn't command us to do this. He said, this is who you are. You are together living stones. You are together in community, a house for me. You are together a chosen race, a royal priest, a holy nation, a people from my possession. Friends, that is who he's proclaimed us to be. Will we now seek his grace to experience that each day? And so my encouragement to you and to myself as we begin this journey over these next weeks is simply to say, God, would you give me grace? to see your plan for my life and how my life is supposed to be lived in community, and would you shape me accordingly? Even if it stretches outside of our comfort zones, are we willing to seek God for grace, and are we willing to submit to him as our Lord in all these things, knowing who he's made us to be? As we close this morning, I want to read you a quote from Matt Chandler. So he's got a great book. It's out in the hall called The Explicit Gospel. And he says this. He says, I am not adequate in and of myself to pull this body of Christ thing off, and you are not adequate in and of yourself to pull it off either. Just pause and think about that for a minute. I am not adequate in and of myself to pull this body of Christ thing off. And you are not adequate in and of yourself to pull it off either. We have been given the covenant community because we need each other. And together we will be more mature, experience more life, and know more joy than we ever would apart from one another. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you that you've given us your word, and God, I'm thankful that you stretch us, and God, you show us what your will is for our life. Father, we are grateful that in Christ today, we are objects of your mercy. God, we are thankful that this day, that in Christ, you have made us part of your people. And God, I pray you would give us grace to get our minds around how incredibly awesome that is. God, that together, you've made us to be a priesthood as unto you, that together, you manifest your presence in our midst. And God, I pray we would long for that, that God, we would experience that. And Lord, I pray for myself and for these precious brothers and sisters, 
that, God, that you would free us from self-reliance. You would free us from so much of the individualistic thoughts that can haunt our minds, that we're fed by our culture and fed by our surroundings. Lord, I pray that we would realize that we really can't experience this whole body of Christ thing the Bible talks about on our own. And it requires a shared life together. Lord, I pray we'd realize how awesome it is to be called to live in covenant community with one another. And God, that we would treasure that, that we'd pursue that, that we'd experience what you've already called us to be. Lord, I pray as you do that in my heart and the heart of these brothers and sisters, I pray you might build up this church. That we'd be a people who don't just park in this parking lot, come in this building for an hour on Sundays, and leave and go live separate lives. But God, we would become a people who share life together under the word all week long. I can only imagine what would happen in all of our midst if that was true for all of us. Lord, would you be shaping us and making us to be living stones that you yourself are building together or to be what you want us to be. And we will give you the praise for it, whatever that looks like. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and sing our closing song?